Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture passage this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter, starting in the middle of the fourth verse and continuing to verse 14. If you're following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on pages 954 and 955. Listen to the word of God. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's an unusual start this morning. I have four stories to tell. You ready? Here goes number one. I was about five years old. My parents were in their late 20s, and we vacationed with another family uh, somewhere on the coast. And one evening, uh, we went out onto the dock where uh, our families were staying, And my dad and the other guy uh, spent the evening crabbing. And I had never seen that done before, had no idea what it was. It was my first time to watch and learn. For those of you who don't have refinement, you tie chicken necks to the line, drop it over the dock, tied to the dock. And then I learned you watch for it to have a little action on it, but you don't pull it and set it like you do when you're fishing because there's no hook. So you have to move it very carefully out of the water. Uh, 
so that the crab doesn't fall off. And then you go over and find the bucket and get the crab sh shaken off into the bucket. I'm fascinated by the whole thing. My dad, as I mentioned, is in his late 20s. It's the late 60s, and back in those days, my dad smoked cigarettes. So he had a pack in one shirt pocket, his sunglasses in the other because the sun had gone down. Bermuda shorts and bass weegins, cigarette dangling, he looked cool. I was in awe. My sister was about two years old, and the other family had a two-year-old, and they're running around on the dock uh, while my dad and his friend are crabbing. But the guys would all be looking over to see, and so the two little girls came over to look over to see, maybe they could see a crab, maybe they could see something, and the other two-year-old fell off the dock, splashed into the water. My dad instinctively jumped into the water after her, grabbed her up. She's screaming like crazy. They make it safely to the shore. But now my dad is drenched. Cigarettes drenched. Sunglasses gone. Lighter is wet. Wallet is wet. Weegins are wet. All of those things held value for him. But compared to the safety of a two-year-old girl, they were rubbish. Number two. A friend of mine told me about sitting alone in her million-dollar home. The estate sale was over. The divorce was final. Her daughter was confused. She was about to start a new school. My friend was anxious about her daughter and the transitions. She looked for the last time at this house that she had lived in. She looked at the 10-inch crown molding that so impressed her at the top of the 12-foot walls that it so impressed her when they first moved in. And the light fixture that they had custom done for the dining room table that she just loved and was going to have to leave. And the custom cabinets they had put in the study with lighting and uh, all of that. But now her husband left her. She was moving to an apartment with her daughter, about to start a new life together. And when she shut the door on this home, all of it, shelves, crown molding, all of it, she realized was rubbish. You have already heard today, as I start tale number three, that I used to be a chaplain intern at Emory Eggleston and Crawford Long, and I used to be skinny. <laughs> Glad for those details. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I saw Vivian, in, I think she said in 1988. I went in 1987 for my year and a half at Emory Eggleston and Crawford Long. 
And many of the beds uh, in 1987 were occupied by patients who were suffering from the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. And there was one man on my unit who was in the last stages of his battle. He'd been a successful lawyer in town. Now he was in a bed, weighed 135 pounds, and wore a robe that tied in the back. His two brothers from two other cities, I don't remember where, had flown in to attend their brother in his last days of his hospitalization. The brothers were staying at his condo in Midtown and driving his cars in in the morning to attend. And I was in the waiting room one afternoon with the two brothers, and one of them became angry And I'm going to more or less quote him, but I'm going to clean up his rant a little bit. He said to us and to no one in particular, all this stuff that mattered to my brother. I drove his Jaguar here today. Richard drove his Mercedes here today. His condo cost more than both of our houses put together. Heck, the contents of his closet cost more than my house. And none of it is worth a blank. It was all rubbish. Story number four. The Apostle Paul is confronting the church at Philippi because of a prevalent false teaching that was going through the church. The Philippian church had been steered off course by the teaching of the Judaizers, this radically rigid, fanatical Jewish group who had become Christ followers. But to their mind, they insisted that everybody who wanted to be a Jew or wanted to be a Christian had to be a Jew first. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish hope. Jesus was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And Judaizers said, you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And not only that. That's not enough. You've got to become a serious Jew. None of this casual stuff. You had to keep kosher and law of Moses and jot and tittle and dyed in the wool Jew if you want to be a Christian. There was a spotlight and elevation on pedigree and human achievement. And they were going to make sure that anybody who claimed to be Christian was the real thing And that meant being a Jew first. So, the Apostle Paul takes on this group of Judaizers by saying, I'm happy to enter into a bragging contest with you. I'll put my bona fides against anybody's. I'll take you on on both pedigree and achievement. As for pedigree, I was born of the people of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day, member of the tribe of Benjamin, I was in all ways ways a full-blooded Jew. Now, how's that for pedigree? 
And as for achievement, I was so full of zeal, I persecuted the church. You'll never meet a more committed or passionate Jew than me. I was more rigid than any of you guys. And as far as keeping the law is concerned, I'll go head to head with any of you. And Paul doesn't snicker or poke fun at this group either. Because he finds pride and value in his heritage. Proud to be a person of loyalty and passion for the Jewish faith. But compared to what he's found in Jesus, it's just rubbish. By the way, let me do a little translation on rubbish that might help awaken the text a little bit. Um, you might be looking for a good synonym or translation here, and I hate to be crude, but it's in the text. It is what it is. But it will make the passage a whole lot more interesting after I translate it. Rubbish is the word for what we would flush. Are y'all following me? All right. So, each time in this sermon that I say rubbish, you just fill in your favorite word and see how it sounds. But that's what it was. So, after listing his bona fides and claiming their value, the apostle says this, Yet whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them <laughs> as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. My dad valued his lighter and his sunglasses, but compared to a toddler, my friend valued her beautiful house, but compared to a love-filled home, that attorney valued his Jaguar and his condo, but compared to his health, Paul valued his pedigree and his accomplishments. But, and he goes through the list. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, compared to his righteousness, compared to the power of the resurrection, all of my accomplishments are rubbish. It's no more value to me and something I would flush. <laughs> you know, of course, that the month of October is our emphasis on intentional giving, which means we're all called on this month to audit our finances and our time allotments to see how closely 
they align with what we say we value. And in the fury of living and pop-up ads and billboards and magazines and neighbor envy and Amazon's quick delivery, it is easy to get caught up in a value system that's gone from being a little bit skewed to just being downright goofy. But in here, we get to remove ourselves from all that panic and take a deep breath and ask bigger questions. Do you want to supersize that is not the only question we need to ask about consumption. And here we can ask bigger questions. The size of our wallet is not the only measure of our worth. What do you really value? Stuff? Yeah, I, I do too. Accomplishments? I value my accomplishments too. But Paul said that even though he could boast of things he valued, those things compared to knowing Christ Jesus, to having a righteousness that comes from God based on faith, knowing the power of the resurrection, compared to that, it's rubbish. And I love Paul's honesty because he says he's not fully there. And I'm quoting, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. In other words, I'm not there yet, but I'm running like crazy to get there. To locating my worth in my relationship with Christ rather than my pedigree or my achievements. Jesus once said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We will never be generous and free if our stuff and our accomplishments is our greatest value. I mean, sure, we find value there, but compared, compared to being set free by the love of God in Christ, compared to being forgiven, compared to abundant and eternal life, really? Might as well flush. All our trappings that we think keep the fear away. It's rubbish. Liberation comes when we recognize the power of the resurrection. And generosity comes when we realize that all the rest of this stuff is just rubbish in comparison. By the way... There's a chance some of you don't know what I'm talking about. 
That is, there's a chance that some listening to these words of Paul have no idea how a relationship with Jesus could count for more than the stuff we think buys our security and our happiness. Well, consider this. In every year since Paul wrote this letter, in every year since the resurrection, there have been men and women, both desperate and satisfied, who trusted their lives to the love of God in Christ. And what they saw, once they saw as true, what really is true. Well, to quote Paul, they forgot what lies behind and strained forward to what lies ahead, pressing toward the goal and to the prize. Because once you've been captured by a love that big, everything else is rubbish. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.